They're growing on me. There's pockets everywhere. Like, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's like, man, I can carry so much stuff. And uh, For the rest of you that's staying up here, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we are going to read all of chapter 6. It's only 23 verses. We'll work through them fairly quick. Now, here's what I will warn you. I'm going to challenge you in two ways today, and one's going to seem, one's going to seem impossible. It will. And if I were to title this particular message, I would have probably titled it Pursuit of Perfection. Pursuit of Perfection. You know, one of my biggest downfalls in certain areas, I try to become a perfectionist, and I, and I have a very difficult time with failure or mistakes or when things don't go perfect. You know, I will admit that early on in ministry, I thought everything had to go perfect in here. And then I realized that sometimes the computer doesn't work. And then I realized sometimes the heater doesn't work. And I can remember a few times we've had to move service from one building over to the next last minute on a Sunday morning because the furnace didn't work here or or things didn't go perfectly as I had envisioned. And perfectionism can actually become a downfall if for the wrong reason. And I don't know, maybe some of you are perfectionists in one way or another and, and try to do everything perfectly all the time. And and what you will realize is the longer you try, the more you try, you're going to realize that the more imperfect you really are. The more imperfect my kids really are. I thought I was training some Marine recruits, you know, and, and they would obey every order that I would shout out and they would just walk in line at all times. And then I realized that uh, they don't, you know, and, and three-year-olds don't listen to anything. And uh, Anytime you can try to be perfect in one area or another, you can actually do it to your own demise. So let's go to Romans chapter 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him and by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I wanted to stop there and say that if we aren't careful, baptism can just be a ceremony when it really is a spiritual moment to where we are truly raised to new life. So if we look at it as just a ceremony of something that we should do, as orderly Christians should do, then we may miss out on the fact that being born again, we are putting to death the old me in Christ's death. And as Jesus rose from the dead, as we are risen up out of the water, we are to walk in newness of life. Verse five says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we may, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. I will say that verses 12 through 14 may have become some of my favorite verses to read and to try and teach. But let's continue on and then we'll come back. The Apostle Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves as one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. If you want to underline that word, you can. We're going to discuss that word here in just a moment. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning you weren't held to be righteous because you were living in sin. You were, you were just giving in to the passions of the flesh and you were not a Christian, or maybe, maybe this was before your days in church and you were just living however you wanted, so there was no regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So we think about what fruit comes from living in sin and unrighteousness. He goes on to write, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is a whole lot in this, a whole lot. And this is what I want to remind you of. If you remember, anybody remember the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? It's at the very end of John chapter 7, going into the beginning of John chapter 8, which your, your Bibles may have a footnote that says this was not in the earliest manuscripts or believed to be put in later. What that means is that there is most likely this story that could have very well happened, but it may not have been recorded originally by the apostle John. And it may have been put in by a scribe later on. That's why there's a little, you know, quotation around it that says, not that you shouldn't reject what happens in it, but that we cannot necessarily believe that it was in the earliest manuscripts. And then there was a scene of, of Jesus in John chapter 5 when he heals a man who, who couldn't get into the pool of Bethesda. You remember that story where, where he was paralyzed and he could not get into the pool and the old tale was that whenever the waters were stirred by an angel, whoever the first one in would be healed by whatever disease they had. And if you remember that story, those two interactions, the same thing Jesus said to both. And I believe it's the only two times that Jesus said it to end their conversation. He told them, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. 
You know, whenever we understand that when you and I are born into this earth, when our kids, we bring them into this earth, we are all born into the same sinful nature, same sinful state. Because ever since the garden, Adam and Eve, whenever they disobeyed the command of God and they ate from the forbidden tree and they were cast out of the garden, ever since then, and if you read the end of chapter five, you see that all sin was brought in by one man, Adam. And then you read that all sin was paid for by one man, Jesus. And then whenever you read the words of the apostle Paul, whenever he said that those who are in Christ are a new what? Creature, a new creation. Jesus told Nicodemus what in John chapter three, that those who, in order to see or inherit the kingdom of God, you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. Whenever you think about the apostle Paul writing in chapter six here, he very, very clearly talks about those who still live in sin, yet call themselves dead to it. Now, I say all of this, and I tell you about those two interactions Jesus had with two people who were either caught in the very act of adultery or who were physically ill and could not get themselves into there. He said to them, sin no more. The apostle Paul writes that those who are in Christ are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and new has come. I am convinced of this, and we'll discuss it for a moment and we'll go a little bit further with it. Here's what I am convinced of. I am convinced that at the moment of conversion, our pursuit for the rest of our lives should be perfection. Perfection in Christ. That's, I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that at the moment of conversion, our pursuit for the rest of our lives should be perfection in Christ. I'm convinced of that, but I'm also well aware the probability of you and I living perfectly or sinlessly after the moment of conversion. If we were to answer the question, who here believes it is possible for you to live perfectly? Hang on. <laughs> I can't quite see in the back. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, what is the probability of someone living perfectly? And this is where the cross comes into such powerful play here in just a moment. But if, if, my if, if I'm convinced that for the rest of my life, I am to pursue perfection in Christ, yet I also live with the reality that I will never on this side of eternity see perfection in myself, then that's why the cross is so important. And that's why God's grace is so powerful because it helps cover us. And we'll get there in just a moment when we talk about the cross. But Here's what I, my goal is for you today. It's, it's twofold. First and foremost is that you would pursue perfection in Christ, that you would truly allow the word of God and the spirit of God to sanctify you, which is to make you more and more like Jesus that to where you will truly look more and more like Jesus, to where you would live more and more like Jesus. Now, my fear is, and I will say and be the first one to admit that I have used this phrase for myself who here has ever said, well, I'm just a work in progress. I'm just a work in progress. You know, I'm getting there. I, now here's my fear. Like myself, I hope and I pray that no one uses that as a blanket statement to try to justify the fact that they aren't quite ready to give up everything to the Lord. You know, there's still some hobbies or there's still some habits that we want to cling to. And, and if we were to read the, the Apostle Paul, he says, we know that our old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. For one who has died has been set free. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that also we live with him. So we see the Apostle Paul saying that sin is to have no dominion over us in Christ. Now, that does not mean that you will never fall to sin again. So whenever you leave here, I don't want you to leave thinking, okay, I got to be perfect for the rest of my life. And if I'm imperfect one time, I'm going to burn forever and ever. That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you that your purpose, your goal, your, your, you know, your striving in this life should be to be perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be. And what I mean by that is, in layman's terms, is that your sin should offend you. I hope I didn't offend you. But, but at the same time, it's a sorry, not sorry moment because our sin should offend us. If you and I are comfortably and intentionally living in sin, then we have to ask ourselves, have we truly been put to death? Have we truly surrendered ourselves fully or are we still using the blanket statement of, I'm just a work in progress to try to justify the fact that we aren't quite ready to give over everything to the Lord? Because you and I, our goal should be, as Jesus told those two people, to go and sin no more. If I am born into a sinful state here on this earth and I am a new creation, Jesus lives his life to God. We also consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So in order to live to God and to bring glory to God, because you and I exist to bring glory to the Lord our God in all that we do, we cannot intentionally and comfortably live in sin. We must repent of our sin. That's why the message of the gospel through the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the, of the apostles is clearly repent of your sin and turn to righteousness, turn to holiness. So how do we truly go from living intentionally and comfortably in sin and truly pursuing in righteousness? How do we truly pursue in perfection? Well, it begins with the word of God. We must know his word. We must read his word to see just how it is we should live. And then what else do we do? We walk in step with his spirit. So whenever we are convicted of our sin, we do not numb the conviction and just continue to live however we want. We repent of our sin and we turn to righteousness. And we unfortunately may use that statement, but we must get rid of it. My goal is that you would try to get rid of this statement as much as, pro- as, much as possible. If you use it in the wrong way, I'm just a work in progress. Because if you're using that to just try to justify the fact that you are still comfortably living in sin, then you need to repent of it and surrender it to the Lord. I must find myself, and I will be honest with you that I used that for a very long time. And the reason I used it is because there were things that I still did not want to put to death. Maybe there's hobbies or there's habits or there's things that you enjoy that you aren't quite ready to put to death. And here's what I would tell you. If you have a hard time putting those things to death, those things may put your faith to death over time. If there is sin that we just continue to live with, and when Jesus said, go and sin no more, we have to understand that he realizes you and I will never be able to go and live perfectly. Maybe you'll hear preachers say, and I'd probably use this phrase before, and I have to admit, who else here, the older you get, the more you learn about how dumb you were when you were younger? Anybody else? Yeah, even in preaching, I look at things that I once said, and I'm like, gosh, I said that? (laughs) 
and they let me come back the next week. I, I really said that. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, and I've probably said it, God doesn't expect perfection. He just wants progress. Probably said it. Maybe you've said it. And then I began to think about what that really means. And I wondered, what makes God proud? Is it that I lost my mind a little bit less? Probably not. I mean, our God sits on a throne and all he hears is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I began to think about the fact that God truly desires perfection, but because of the cross, he truly understands it'll never happen. So if you and I just strive to be a little bit better today, and just a little bit better next week, and I'm just gonna be a little bit better and I'm gonna make God happy, here, here's the way that we have to, here's the question we have to ask. And this question is for all of us to ask in every area of our life, is what I am doing or is how I am speaking or is what I am thinking making God proud? I just want you to ask yourself that question. Is what I am doing, is the way that I am living, is, are, are the words that I am using, is the, is the you know, uh, free time that I spend, is it making God proud? Is it making God proud? And I would tell you what makes God proud is to see people repenting of their sin, calling upon his name, praising his holy name because of them being dead and filthy rags, but being raised to life in Christ. God is glorified by broken people sharing the good news of Jesus Christ that other broken people could be saved too from their sin, that they could put to death with Christ and then walk in newness of life. So what I don't want you to do is to think that just because I was a little bit better this week, then I made God even happier. My goal is for all of us to pursue the perfection of Christ in all that we do. Because it is the perfection of Christ that you and I will receive one day. Because we are reminded without the cross of Christ, we would be judged by who we are. And let's just face it, whether it's 20 years on this, year, on this earth or 105 years, who here would be, who would be confident if you were to be held judged based off everything you've done, said, or thought? Who here would be confident? And if we were to be honest, no person would ever raise their hand. Now, if I were to ask you, who here is thankful that the blood of Jesus covers you? I would say everybody would raise their hand because it's at the cross where we see this chapter, chapter six, really come together with all of the other words that Paul wrote, all the words that Jesus spoke on and all of the New Testament writings that, that reiterated the cross of Christ. It is because you and I, though our pursuit of perfection should be what we live with, the probability of that is unlikely. And because of the cross of Christ, you and I as imperfect beings can be made perfect. It is only through the cross of Christ that imperfect, filthy, ragged people can be made holy and can be made right. So what I, what I, why I say that is because the offense that you and I have caused to send Jesus to a cross should, over time, through this process of sanctification, should offend us and break our hearts because we have offended the Lord. Whenever we are aware of our sin, we repent of it. And over time, we become more and more aware of it. Therefore, we're able to put to death more and more and more and then walk in newness of life more and more and more. 
And I love how Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now so present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So I mentioned perfectionism earlier. Here's what I don't want. I don't want people to become so perfectionist driven that they may boast in just how good you may be or just how good you are getting. But I brought perfectionism up as a point because you and I should strive to live perfectly in glorifying and honoring the Lord. Now, Paul said, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. I say that because I want you to understand that the more that you obey God's word, the more that you obey the spirit of God and, and, and repent of your sin, the more sanctified you will be, meaning the more like Christ you will become. If our ultimate goal is to be a Christian, which is actually to be called a little Christ, we have to understand that we are to live like Christ. So the question we must ask ourselves, maybe on a daily basis, is what I am doing right now, does it make God proud? Does it make God proud? And that's what I want you to ask today. Are you living in things that you should have put to death a long time ago? Are you not walking in the fullness of life that God has promised to you through Christ because you are still living in dead things, still living in dead habits, still walking around and, and engaged with dead people spiritually? Have you found yourselves living in the fruits of your lawlessness, which leads to death, which leads to destruction, which leads to division, which leads to depression, which leads to pain, which leads to heartache. And my prayer is that you would repent of that, ensure that you, from this moment forward, find yourselves constantly leading lives that follow the word of God, the, the spirit of God, and your fruit may be sanctification, which leads to life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. That's all that needs to be said. There's nothing else I can add to it. There's nothing else I can bring up Are you living in dead things? Are you talking in dead ways? Are you engaged with spiritually dead people that are constantly bringing you to live in more and more spiritually dead things? Or have you truly put to death the old self? Are you living free from the dominion of sin, meaning you now have the spirit of God that can reveal to you the sin that you were living in and there is now a way of escape when temptation, call, when temptation comes your way? 
Are you escaping from those temptations or are you just continuing to live dead? Is the way you live right now making the Lord proud? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in whom? Christ. Not in how perfect you are, And this is where the cross comes into play because it is at the one cross at one moment in time that will never have to happen again to where you who were once dead in your sins and trespasses can be raised to life in whom? Christ, Jesus, our Lord. It is the cross of Christ where a body was broken and where blood was shed to cover, to atone for, It is only through the cross of Christ where imperfect people can be made perfect. It is only the cross of Christ where you and I in our unrighteousness can put on the imputed righteousness of Christ because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So that our coats could change so that our spot could be filled by him. So my goal for all of you, my goal for myself is to literally evaluate every area of your life and just ask yourself, does it make God proud? Does it make God proud? And if it doesn't, if it's offensive to him, then it should be offensive to us and we should repent of it and surrender it to the Lord, put it to death and walk in holiness. That's my goal for all of you, to walk in righteousness and walk in sanctification that is only produced by the word of God and the spirit of God cultivating in us a heart that desires the things that the Lord desires in which we repent of our sin and constantly put to death things that bring us down and push us down and we walk in this fullness and this abundant life that Jesus came to offer. Can we put to death what needs to be put to death? And can we walk in the life that Jesus died to give you? a life that is full of joy, peace, holiness, righteousness, and forever and ever of his beauty and his majesty. Otherwise, what we should have put to death a long time ago may eternally put us to death. Let's pray.